Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Welcome to the following on podcast from TalkSport. I'm John Norman in Johannesburg, where the scene is set for the fourth and final test match of this series between South Africa and England. News coming out of the South Africa camp is that this may well be Faf de Plessis' last test as captain. And indeed, Quinton de Kock has been named as the ODI captain uh, and T20 captain for the limited series that follows this one. You can hear all of that, of course, exclusively live on TalkSport and TalkSport 2. Uh, the players, well, it was a rest day today, or a travel day, really, as they journeyed from Port Elizabeth at the hour and 20 minutes uh, inland to Johannesburg as uh, we await uh, the uh, the battle that was uh, is set to commence uh, tomorrow, uh, England and South Africa putting up players uh, to chat to look ahead to that test match. Changes for both, definitely for South Africa with Rabada missing out and uh, possibly for England as well. Could Joffre Archer return? We shall see. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But for now, a chance to listen back to a show that we broadcast or rather a lunchtime uh, feature that went out on day one of the uh, third test match back in Port Elizabeth. 20 years since uh, the Centurion Test of 2000. Hansi Cronje's leather jacket and all that. Well, two players who played in that test match, Mark Butcher and Darren Goff, sat down to discuss that with Sean Pollock, another man who did and also Neil Manthorpe, uh, a journalist uh, who was uh, at the ground and commentating on that game. Fascinating listen. Hope you enjoy. Nancy Cronier has pulled out at 248 for eight. Further news is that uh, there's been a forfeit of innings from England and a forfeit of innings from uh, South Africa. So there is a target, 249, to win the Test match. Caught by Boucher, did it carry? He's given him out. Well, what drama. Bowl him. He's bowled him out. Michael Thorne goes. Pulled away by Garth for four. And England win 
the fifth test match of this five test series. By a whisker and on a joyous day for English cricket, it was a joyous cricketer Darren Goff who hit the winning runs. It was a thriller of a game and in the end, probably on balance, England deserved to sneak home. It was a generous declaration by Hansi Cronje earlier in the piece. I think it was quite an important thing for cricket, particularly after the last three days with the indecision over whether we'd play or not, to actually make something of the afternoon. The thing that's always in your back of your mind as a test captain is you don't want to devalue test cricket and I didn't want any lob-ups and things like that and, and false runs. I think everyone who got their runs and wickets today had to earn them um, and I think it was a good day's cricket and as you say, um, I think it did a lot for test cricket in general. Hunt, it may seem odd to uh, say congratulations after a defeat but this has been a special day for the game I think. Yeah, I think the game needed it after sitting in the change room for three days, you know. I think we owed it to the public to get out there today and be positive and seeing that the players want to play cricket. And I think all 22 of the players were keen this morning to get here and obviously play a game that was meaningful. I mean, could easily have settled for the easy option and just play the day out. But I think for test cricket, it was the right option. And many thanks to Sky for that uh, audio as we look back on the 20th anniversary, near enough, uh, to a test match that Michael Atherton described as the end of the game's innocence, when uh, it was discovered that Hunty Cronier's motives weren't all about making a game of it after three days of rain. I'll set the scene very quickly because I've got three men alongside me who played in that test match. South Africa had won the series, they were 2-0 up, they reached 155 for six after the first day and uh, it rain affected day and then it rained solidly on days two three and four before the uh, memorable fifth day now not so memorable for all the right reasons but england were set 249 runs to win in 79 overs a declaration in today's terms that would seem ridiculously generous and in fact michael atherton who was the former captain it was nasa hussain's first tour as captain atherton was used as the negotiator by hussain uh, Atherton twice left the field uh, to negotiate uh, a target with Nasser Hussain. First of all, it was, the offer was 280, which Nasser declined, and uh, Atherton was then uh, dispatched again a few hours later to renegotiate, and uh, as I said, the target then uh, was 249 runs to win uh, in 79 overs. Um, at the time, it was widely, widely received as very positive. Uh, positive for the game, as you heard Hansi Cronier, the late Hansi Cronier, saying there, three days of rain, the, the spectators were frustrated, as were the players. But it must have been, I don't know where to start here, Darren Goff, Mark Butcher and Sean Pollock alongside me, it must have been, gentlemen, the last thing you expected when you arrived at the ground on the fifth morning. Goffy? Well, I w it was for me, because I, I, let me assure you, what happened is after day four, we got told there was not going to be any chance of play on day five. So we all went out. We, uh, Dougal Fletcher was with us, the whole uh, backroom staff and the players. We went for a meal at the Butcher's, didn't we, a Butcher's Grill? And um, we left there. I left there, actually, uh, when uh, little Reedy, the keeper, who played for England quite a few times, was dancing on the tables and singing rugby songs about half past 12. I think I joined Butch in the bar, we, along with Tuffers. We sat there for another few hours before we went to bed. And the next morning was a bit of a surprise when we got told at breakfast, but we're going to be starting just about on time. There's helicopters at the ground, drying the pitch. We thought, what is the point? 
it was unbelievable the, the feeling going to the ground that morning, wasn't it? Because we thought it was just going to be another day rained off a drawn test match having only played one day and I was happy because at that point I'd only gone for 46 off 13 overs and managed to bag two wickets I'd be happy with that NASA made you bold didn't he all morning he knew that um, one or two of us were feeling slightly worse for wear so he basically just said Goffey you're bowling that end until until we're done <laughs> yeah, and I got uh, smacked all over and that was one of the problems because originally um, we'd agreed two four five uh, manners in 75 overs but if you remember these are four off the last ball which he wasn't supposed to hit uh, I think it was Klusner through the offside Klusner and I think he hit a four through the offside and uh, it ended up being 249 um, in the 75 overs Sean Pollock at what stage of the day did you realise that something was, was up that you were going to have a game well we've got a completely different story because uh, if we'd just known that they were out until two o'clock in the morning <laughs> we might have declared a little bit earlier no we we went to the ground we'd won the series and we had all been in bed since 9:30, um as as we did in those days and we went to the ground and i can remember there was the first rumblings of it where hansi came up and said what about if we create a bit of a game and we sort of say, well, what do you mean? We've won the series 2-0. Why even give England a chance of anything? Why, why would you want to throw? I don't know what it was, whether it was points or whatever was put on the line. It was like, no, I think if we declare, declare, there's a good opportunity we can win this game, win it 3-0, and it's a real thumping of a victory in the series. So that was sort of put to the team before the warm-up, and there was some consideration given, and a lot of the senior players were discussed and chatted too. And it was a bit in the air about like, well, what would be the target? What would happen? And then the details weren't so clear. Then by the time the start of the game, about half an hour to go before, when we'd gone down and seen the covers come off, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a massive green tinge to the, the pitch. And that's why Nasser Hussain was like, you've got to be kidding me. We're going to bet on that. You declare, declare, there's no chance. Because um, it looked like we would just clean them up. And then I think in the first five or ten overs after England resumed bowling, absolutely nothing happened. It was like gun barrel straight. It could just hit through the line, and everyone thought, well, hold on, this is actually a good surface. No matter what they set us, if it's 75 overs, we believe we can achieve it. And then there was negotiation, people running up the stairs. And it was a case in point where I think Hansi made reference to the fact that he'd been on the county circuit, and this was often done there where you create a game, you create something for the viewers to watch, and this could be an opportunity for us to win another test match. And I think that was how we were sold it. And I suppose having sat for three days as players, you almost want to play and you want to play for something that's worthwhile rather than just going through the motions. And that's why I think the carrot that was dangled sort of made sense. And eventually we went with We still thought, why would you give them the opportunity of winning? Why not set them 370 overs and, and make sure that they can't achieve it? I think on the face of it, particularly when you, when you, sort of, you run through the reasons for... Uh, or the reasons why you might have considered doing something like that. On the face of it, it was it was perfectly reasonable. All of the arguments for doing something like that, i.e., the series was over, South Africa weren't weren't putting up a lot of jeopardy in terms of you know offering us a chance to go out there and win the game because the series was was taken care of. The fans, a lot of English fans in the ground, had, had turned up for three or four days and, and, and hadn't seen any cricket, and you, you just felt like it, that there was a gesture being made that was a good thing for the sport. And, and I would like to think, actually, Manners, despite everything we know subsequently and despite everything that has happened since, that given a similar set of circumstances, that two captains might consider doing the same thing again. 
of, of course, without the outside influence, you know, this has to be something that's entirely between the two dressing rooms. But we didn't know any of this stuff at the time. Can I After, just... Afterwards, afterwards, after the yeah. win, I remember turning to Mike Atherton and, and both of us sitting in the dressing room and sort of going, something did not feel right about that. Something did not feel right about celebrating a victory that came about in that way. There was something, particularly in the way that Hansi kind of sort of kept us in the game with some of his, you know, Peter Striden bowled six overs for 27. And, and there were some weird things happened out there on the field. It just didn't feel quite right. But I go back, I say it again. We ended up in a situation where one of the teams had won a series and you ended up with four, three and a half, four days being washed out, three and a half days being washed out of a test match and you had the opportunity to do that again. I would, I would like to think the two captains would come to the same, the same sort of arrangement. It was also coming on the back of 95, same venue. We had three days washed out again and it was a real damn squid. I don't think, we, did, we didn't even get to, we padded up, we didn't even get to the crease. So I suppose the history was there as well about a past experience where there was no viewing and it was an absolute waste of time. Let me just explain the, the skullduggery then and the involvement of gamblers and, um, and bookmakers just very quickly. Um, so the odds against a result, a positive result, a win for either team were enormous and the odds on a draw were obviously minuscule. It was, in gambling terms, and I'm not a gambler, it was the easiest money you could ever make. And so, in fact, many bookmakers had stopped taking bets on the draw because obviously it was going to be a draw. Then a South African gambler called Marlon Aronstam contacted Hansi Cronier on the fourth evening and said he would make a donation to a charity of his choice of 500,000 rand, half a million rand, as well as 50,000 rand and, curiously enough, a leather jacket if he manufactured a result. So the important thing was a result needed to be achieved. So whilst Hansi always said he did everything he possibly could to win the game that the truth remains and we'll never know the, the, what the truth is at some point did he think we can't win this but England have to well what happened is and this is the amazing thing is but when Vaughan and Stewart was at the crease we took early wickets the bowlers they had a good bowling attack Pollock and Nanty Airwood um, and Klusner and Callis had been bowling the ball pretty well we'd knocked the top four over and all got starts but never really went on then Stuart and Vaughan were at the crease and then he made a strange decision when he thought well that's it England are not going to go for it then rather than believing they could bowl us out he then brought himself on and Strydham, part-time left-arm spinner really, he was a batsman, one he in the side, he bought a little bit of left arm, um, Adams being the main uh, type bowler, and he got us back into the game, and the intensity went out of it, and Vaughan and Stewart picked off these bowlers, and we got back into the game that way. And then it gave both teams still a chance of winning the game. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Yeah, so Sean, there are, going back to the county circuit, and the game's results are manufactured because there are points at stake and teams want to finish as high up the league as possible. Did, I mean, there's a legitimate cricketing reason. If, if, if Hansi Cronje said, we need to keep England interested in the target because that's our only chance of winning it, were you convinced at the time? Did you think that's what was going on? Yeah, I, I can't remember if I was convinced of the fact that we'd the bowling changes where we would give them an opportunity to get some free runs but it, it, there was that kind of talk of well it looks like it's going to go back to meander and it's going to end up in a draw um, and, and you mentioned I didn't know why Straden had bowled as many overs but you mentioned that Paul Adams had got himself injured we might have turned to him earlier just to see what was, was going to happen but I can remember at one stage we thought we were going to win. So we picked up the first four wickets quickly enough and we thought, okay, we can maybe run through them. And then when the partnership developed, it looked very unlikely that we were going to achieve a result by winning the game ourselves and bowling the opposition out. And then all of a sudden with that bowling changes, them getting some runs, losing some wickets, the contest was back on. So I remember at some of the drinks breaks, the discussion of what we should or shouldn't do. And in the context of the game, we're trying to get a result or not that we thought we had to get a result, but we were trying to get a result of the win. A couple of those decisions sort of made sense as to keeping England in the game in order to give ourselves that opportunity. But when you do look back, you think, gosh, we almost gifted it to them. What was the result? What was the, what was the atmosphere in the change room like that you remember in both change rooms? I mean, obviously, I can start with you, Sean, because you need to go soon. But um, you, you obviously lost the test match. But, but was it a... Was it worse than that? Was it was it a, a different feeling? Did it feel wrong? Yeah, I think we felt gutted because we felt like we'd worked so hard for the whole series. Why would you possibly give England anything to cheer about? I mean, NASA celebrated like he'd won the World Cup. I remember the pictures <laughs> of him uh, after he'd won that game. It, it, it didn't quite sit right with us, but because we had wrapped up the series and that nothing could influence that, it was, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. But I can remember going back thinking, hmm, doesn't sit right that we've given them the opportunity to chase down something to have a test victory against us when we should have just kept them out of the game and, and kept that feeling of the fact that we had dominated the series there had been of course that that joke offer a couple of years earlier 
to Jacques Callis, Mark Boucher and Lance Klusner about accepting money for a, a one-day international. It wasn't actually supposed to be a one-day international. It was a benefit game for Jimmy Armanath. So I remember I, I, I was also sucked up in the, not euphoria, I was convinced that it was been a magnanimous gesture for the good of the game and the spectators. And, I, and I, like the vast majority, I also believe that. But the, the next day, I remember Callis and Boucher just saying to me, what did you think about that? And I said, well, it's great. I mean, you know, it was a game, it was exciting, it was a day of entertainment. And they said, no, no, it was wrong. And I think it dawned on them 24 hours later that perhaps there, there had been something nefarious. Yeah, I think when you look at how you celebrate test victories and all the work that goes into test victories and trying to win series, it just did feel wrong that in many ways we had donated the opportunity to win a game and then we'd end up on the wrong side of it and we'd lost the game. So that was the part that didn't really sit right. We understood and it, it sort of made us feel a little bit better about the fact that we had created a spectacle, there was something on the line, a game was played and people enjoyed it and thought it was entertaining. You'd get some positive feedback. All those things sort of made us rest easier about the fact that we had just donated away a victory. We always say a win's a win, but I get the feeling that it wasn't <laughs> in your dressing room. Oh, well, yeah, we celebrated. Uh, it was a test victory. I think we just got together a side, actually, that could compete uh, against most teams. And uh, it kind of got spoilt, didn't it, uh, what I remember, by uh, a one-off test at the Oval against Sri Lanka. And we went to South Africa believing we could win that series. They were a strong team. Uh, they were 2-0 up. They couldn't lose the series. But I'll tell you what, when we went on, and won that game. I mean, I celebrated as well, won the World Cup. I thought it was magnificent. And one thing what surprised me, Mike Atherton writes now, but he had no idea whatsoever, no inkling of anything wrongdoing in that game. But I disagree with him because that night, we all joked about it and said there has got to be something suspicious about that game. I remember us all sat in the bar having a beer and Anzi walked past with Ursh, Ursh Gibbs, who was playing at the time as well, and we made a comment didn't we because Anzi had a leather jacket on at the time and we said and Mike Adam was the one who actually said I said I bet he got that leather jacket for today's uh, game and we all joked about it and laughed like you do just amongst lads and it turned out then in the future what we found out but it obviously well you know everything that happened since then I, 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 there was it was interesting that that, that, that tour 99-2000 came off the back of England being the, the worst test team in the world officially the worst test side in the world we lost to New Zealand um, at the Oval in 99 NASA was booed on the balcony at the Oval at the end of that trip and, and so it, it, that, that entire tour was supposed to be a new beginning so there were a lot of there were a lot of players I'm just looking down the list of who played in that game so it was myself and, and Mike Atherton opened the batting NASA batted three um, Alex Stewart kept wicket and batted four then you had Chris Adams uh, Michael Vaughan in his first sort of incarnation as, a, as an England player who was a, a, a huge success on that trip that was one of the big plus points Darren Maddy played in that side behind him and then it was Caddick Goff Silver with three guys who would play quite a big part and Alan, yeah, sorry, Alan Mullally didn't get to the crease so guys that would, would have played a, quite a big part in England's resurgence afterwards but some who were never who were never seen again so the, I, the interesting thing about it was it was Duncan Fletcher's first win as coach hence the sort of the NASA's big celebrations it was kind of like the start of a you know some a good relationship between those two um, and we'd also we'd had a rough old time on the trip you know South Africa were, were a much better unit than we were um, and so you know any any inkling of, uh, of positivity that you could take at the end of it was 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 warmly welcomed so in our dressing room with the exception of myself and Athers who kind of 
I was not as old then, obviously, but was still quite cynical. Um, it's kind of it just felt like a slightly just a strange win. It just there was something about it that didn't sit right. We had no idea what, um, but everybody else was was up and about and, and cheering and, and celebrating it in, in the fashion that you would do winning a Test match away from home. Yeah, you talk about your team. I remember the first Test. It was, I mean, as you say, Adams came in, Maddie played, Vaughan was making his debut, Gavin Hamilton. Yeah, he, bagged he, bagged him, didn't get a wicket. Yeah, the Scottish hope he had come in and so. The start of the series, this was almost like when you guys had settled and uh, you had this sort of team who you thought was going to do best. Um, and that was why we felt like we'd been on top of you. To, it didn't sit well that we'd given you the opportunity to see NASA celebrate like that on the balcony. So the reason that, uh, that um, or I think it is fair to say, the reason that uh, the, it, it was all exposed is because in India, in the illegal betting markets of India, Many gamblers had placed many hundreds of millions of dollars on the draw, um, and they wanted answers. Um, they weren't going to get their money back, but they, they wanted answers. And three months later, the Delhi police uh, released excerpts of conversations between Hansi Cronier and Indian bookmaker Sanjeev Chawla. Uh, and, and then the wheels of motion kicked in, and, and uh, we had the, the King Commission of Inquiry into... Um, match fixing and Cronier's four-year relationship with uh, cricket with the bookmakers and what he termed his unfortunate weakness for money became exposed the game the game changed do you think Mike Atherton was right and the, the anti-corruption unit was established by the ICC do you think he was right do you think that was the end of of innocence in many ways well, it's that's interesting to me because I remember having um, a, a police commissioner come to my house um, in, I don't know if it was 98 or 99, before this tour, to ask uh, about you know whether or not I'd, I'd ever encountered as an England player or, or a player playing in county cricket any sort of, any sort of corruption, any sort of um, nefarious activity around matches that, that I'd been involved in. And I kind of, I kind of laughed. I said, so what, you reckon, you reckon people, are, people are gambling on us to win a test series? You know, that sort of thing. You know, and he, he, he sternly looked at me like, OK, take this seriously, Butcher. All right, I'll try. But no, I mean, so, so I, it wasn't the first time I'd heard about, you know, there, there being inquiries into the, the, the veracity of, of um, cricketing uh, results and events. But of course, you know, once that, that whole the, the house of cards came down on Hansi Cronin, you kind of look at everything completely differently. I mean, we, we were involved in the game. You but know, it's not stopped him, though, but has it? No, I mean, it's still going on. And we, we, we all suspect what? it. We all look at games and we're still thinking there's people still around the world getting done for match fixing Listen, or spot fixing or, or whatever it is. So it's not stopped it. The, 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 issue, the issue for me has always been that the only people who have ever, the only players really up, up to a point who have ever kind of paid for uh, paid for this with a, you know, maybe loss of liberty or, or losing their losing their, their opportunity to play the game, have always been slightly lower characters, you know, people who were, you know, easier targets, easier to sort of remove. They weren't high profile enough to kind of to uh, to, to to really cause waves and cause shock waves in the whole thing. And, and so, if Hansi Cronje, the captain of the, the Rainbow Nation of, of South Africa, this hugely high-profile character in South Africa and in the sport at large was involved, how how the heck was he supposed to be the only one, the only person of that sort of status and magnitude um, who who had any kind of activity 
or was linked to any kind of activity. I mean, Mohammed Azaruddin, from we're talking about a long way before then, as a man, he's now a politician, funnily enough. <laughs> you know, was kind of was the was the high-profile guy from uh, from the early part of the 90s. But since then. So, final question then, because uh, we do have to wrap this up. We could. It's a, it is a fascinating topic, but Atherton believes that the game at the very highest level is cleaner than ever before because of the work of the anti-corruption unit and particularly player education and also the fact that players earn so well at the very highest level, at test level, at one day international level and also... In India and England and right, Australia. Right. There's three teams who get paid right. properly. They get paid huge bucks, right? The but rest of them are still playing catch-up. Let's be honest about it. Look, a, a gamble is a gamble and a winning gamble is a winning gamble. It doesn't matter what it's on. And the proliferation of T20 leagues around the world means that there's so much low-hanging fruit on the gambler's tree now. And you can't possibly police all of those tournaments in the same way that you can international cricket. So I believe that gambling and illegal gambling and match-fixing must be rife. And I've heard lots of stories, first-hand stories. But at the very highest level, people listening to us describing this test match can surely, surely relax in the confident knowledge that what they're seeing and hearing is real. I would imagine so. And, and, and Ath has put it pretty well in, in his piece in that if uh, one of the challenges or the challenge for, for these leagues that are popping up, T10, league, you know, whatever it might be, uh, Afghanistan, Premier League, is that you, you these players come in, they have no affiliation, they have no kind of, you know, the, the, there's no badge kissing going on. There's no kind of, you know, the, the, these guys come and go, they get their money, hopefully, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they move on to the next one. And so that any idea that you, any idea that, um, any idea that there's any sort of loyalty to, to that team or any real bother about whether or not you, you win or lose, whether, you, whether you, you, you top the league, whether you come bottom, there isn't any, it doesn't matter. Um, international cricket, on the other hand, is very, very different and very, very difficult, you would imagine, for anybody to, to try something like that and get away with it. Last word, Goffey. Nope. Can I just go back just quickly to the Test match? Because what I want to end on that Test match is, though, it's, it's going to be much talked about this week. It is 20 years since it. We we could say lucky enough to play in that game. It was a, we, I saw it at the time as a terrific victory for England uh, when it looked like we were going to have no chance of winning a game. And if you ask anybody who played in that game, and anybody who was in that ground that day, they would tell you they were thoroughly entertained throughout. It was a fantastic day's cricket. The crowd were on the edge of their feet when they thought it was just going to be a dull day of test cricket. And it was an absolute belter to play in. It was a great occasion for the fans to be involved in. And it was just tainted at the end by what followed. And that's all I've got to say on that game. Big thanks uh, to uh, Sean Pollock for uh, agreeing to join us there. And, of course, fascinating to hear back uh, just exactly how and what the players are thinking at the time. Thanks to Mark Butcher and uh, also Darren Goff. All three, as well as Neil Manthorpe, will be back for the fourth Test match. Uh, but for now, that's it for the following on podcast. Subscribe and review on Acast, iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening and we'll be back tomorrow. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. 
Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.